Hello and welcome to the Talking Law Podcast, the podcast where you can hear barristers, solicitors, managing partners and more talk about their careers and lives in law. I'm Sally Penny, MBE. I'm a barrister at Kenworthy's Chambers and the founder of Women in the Law UK. Talking of which, you can now get tickets for both the annual dinner on the 9th of March in Manchester and the Women in the Law UK conference on the 10th of March, supported by Irving Mitchell. Tickets are available from womeninthelawuk.com. Today I'm delighted to be talking law with two very exciting guests. Firstly, an interview with Dr. Sean Wallace, who is a barrister of Great James Street Chambers and a celebrity quizzer from The Chase. I'm also joined by Tom Lyers. Tom is the head of resourcing at Brown Jacobson, as well as the firm's lead on social mobility. This episode is supported by the Law Group at Salford Business School, and it is also supported by Brown Jacobson, who are a law firm for positive impact across business and society. Do check them out by visiting their website. I met both my guests at the Fair Access Programme, which was run by Brown Jacobson. And I asked Tom to explain what it is all about, really. So FAIR is a a social mobility initiative, um, which we came up with, uh, it came into existence at the end of 2019, just before the pandemic. Um, It came about because I felt, uh, as did a number of other people, that access to to the legal profession, particularly work experience uh, opportunities, was not FAIR. Yeah. So it's very, very simple initiative, but FAIR stands for Fairer Access into Real Experience. And what this is, is paid work experience opportunity where at least 50% of opportunities go to students from a low socioeconomic background with no connections to the firm. Yes. And this is against the backdrop. The reason why we felt it wasn't fair is that when we actually did a, uh, an audit of the work experience Brown Jacobson were giving, um, we were... I say horrified, but you know, unsurprisingly not surprised to find that 96% of the available opportunities back in 2019 were actually going to stu- uh, you know, sons, daughters, niece, nephews of clients or partners. Yes. So it really was a, a case of keeping it in the family. And unfortunately, that's where we realised we needed to change. As part of the FAIR initiative, we do a couple of um, virtual insight events as we call them each year yeah uh, one around uh, easter time and we've got another one in the autumn and the next one's on the 25th of october so i'll just put that out there <laughs> but what this is 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 it's a fantastic very large scale virtual event um and we have fantastic guest speakers not just from law firms but from barristers chambers from in-house careers and, and actually experts from outside the law who can help with virtual um, sort of building of your, uh, your personal brand, yeah. And obviously, that's where I met both of you, yeah. Um, so, yeah. and, and you know, extremely grateful to, to to have crossed paths with you both because I think you share the same ethos. It's very, very clear that you know, despite your highly successful careers, mm. you're still willing to give that time to the next generation um, to help their career prospects. So that's that's a, a whistle stop tour of how we came across it. Abs- absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Because um, that sets up the scene beautifully. So can I come back to you, Sean? Yeah. Because um, you've been <clears throat> at the bar for a very long time. I certainly have. Yeah, since uh, 1984. Uh, I've always wanted to be a lawyer ever since I was 11 years old. Uh, and, you know, my journey in terms of um, getting to the 27th of November 
1984, the day I got called to the bar, yes. uh, has been what I would consider to be an up and down experience. Uh, you know, when people see me, they think, oh, you were born clever, you were born intelligent. Yeah. Uh, but 40 year, 42 years ago, I, I didn't pass my um, A-levels at the first time of asking. It took me four attempts to pass O-level English language. And that's one of the reasons I wrote my autobiography, because I want people to realise if you do have setbacks in life, it doesn't define you as an individual. It doesn't mean to say that your future is behind you. And, and when you do have setbacks, uh, it's all well and good that you're pointing the finger of suspicion uh, or, or, or pointing the finger of blame on... Uh, one or two people, but the first part you've got to look at is the reflection in the mirror and yeah. ask yourselves, the buck stops with me, Absolutely. why I haven't yeah. got to where I've yeah. got to. And you, it's a period of reflection about you looking at yourself, uh, um, deconstructing yourself uh, and um, using the help of resources of people who've got to your best interests at heart. And I was fortunate enough to have that in the form of my elder sister, uh, some of the teachers uh, who uh, basically supported uh, my uh, lifelong ambition to become a lawyer. Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, when I eventually came off uh, the academic affair belt, it was a, a great moment in my life. And it still is the best achievement I have had uh, to my life to date. Because as a young boy, I was like the Muhammad Ali. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be the greatest. If you talk the talk, you've got to be able to walk the walk. Yes. And, you know, I've stumbled my way. Uh, I managed to actually know how to walk. Uh, and uh, when I got called to the bar, the one thing which struck home to me was this. Uh, all the hard work, all the blood, sweat and tears, the disappointment and the ultimate joy of uh, being called to the bar, all it's simply done was brought me to the start and have a different challenge. Mm -hmm. And that's why I always try to stress to uh, our students in relation to the fact that never, ever rest on your laurels, never, ever believe that you've made it uh, just because of the fact that you passed one exam or you passed another. Because all it simply does is give you uh, the uh, entrance to the start line of a different challenge. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Well, th that journey is really interesting. Now, I've read your book, and others may not have read it. Now, I, I know, because I've interviewed a lot of people, that uh, when people write books, they promote it to death. Now, your book's about four years old, <laughs> and you have to really seek it out. So I'm going to plug it for you. Thank you. Because <laughs> it, it, it it's so powerful. It did receive a lot of uh, attention uh, by virtue of the fact that, you know, I, I am an ITV uh, uh, stable member, for want of a better expression, and I was on various <laughs> chat shows and talk shows. Uh, but obviously with the pandemic, uh, that uh, did prevent uh, 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 me from actually... Uh, exploiting it and plugging in the way which I wanted to. Yeah. I have plugged it in New Zealand, so it's been uh, widely received over there because I do a lot of work in New Zealand as well because of my quitting exploits. Yes. Uh, it does mean to say that uh, the book's outdated. And uh, as I say, yeah. you know, uh, it will receive a uh, second wind, I would imagine, hopefully on uh, platforms like uh, your wonderful podcast. Absolutely. And I, I hope so because it really, really is inspirational. Um, Shorten, tell me, because you wanted to write the book to leave a legacy and influence people, I suppose, like those who were on the fair um, event and the virtual event. And I've seen that's won a lot of awards. But on those awards, they're very on the fair virtual events, they're mm -hmm. very diverse. It's a broad spectrum of people. And I wondered if we can, um, and I'll come back to Tom in a moment, but when you came to the bar, was it diverse? It wasn't. Um... Uh, as you no doubt uh, will know, Sally, yeah. uh, you know, uh, uh, seeing a, a black face, let alone a black female face, uh, was uh, like Halley's Comet coming around. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, people have got to be pioneers in the profession. It's just like, uh, you know, man landing on the moon. Uh, once you make that breakthrough, once you shatter that concrete ceiling, 
uh, it's important to actually leave footsteps behind for others to basically say, well, if he's managed to actually do that through the adversity, then it's footsteps which I can follow. And that's why um, I've written the book, what I've had. That's why um, I've used the platform in the way I should do, in a, hopefully in an altruistic way, yeah. where people can simply say, yes, it was tough for me, uh, Sean, but yes, it, it might be tough for me, but uh, if I use him as a goal model to actually follow, uh, then hopefully uh, the path which uh, he's helped create will make it easier for me to follow. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me come to you, Tom, then, just on that subject, really. Because, you know, you're a white middle-aged man. I don't know if you are middle-aged, actually. I think you're younger <laughs> than me. It looks uh, very good. It does look very good. I need to take I'm, what I'm, he's I'm taking. I'm 42, yes. Yeah, so oh, right. I'll take that as middle-aged. Um, but why are you so passionate about that? Because it is noticeable at your, you know, I speak at a lot of events, you will host a lot of events, and I know lots of law firms will have had, you know, the reason for motivating the FAIR program, your passion for social mobility. But why are you so passionate about it yourself? Because I talk a lot about allies and real allies, and you really are Absolutely. somebody who's, you know, being mm. active and living it. Yeah, indeed, and thank you for that. I mean, it's, um, I, I'm genuinely believe that you know enthusiasm passion um you know will carry you a long 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 way mm. um i mean i mean it's a question actually i've been asked a number of times um you know somebody always says well what's your social mobility story yeah. um you know and, and i don't necessarily sort of i it took me a while to figure out what is my story you mm. know i had a a pretty you know orthodox if that's the right term sort of upbringing you know, in terms of, of, of where I live you yeah know, I had professional parents and you know didn't really sort of want for much I, I chose not to go to university um you know I, I didn't necessarily feel that connection with academia I, I kind of just wanted to get out into the world work, yeah. but interestingly when I did get out into the world I, I did very quickly start to realize that you know academics aren't everything and, and I don't want to sort of make this about academics but actually there's a lot more to to if you think of the word talent, yeah. it's such a broad, encompassing sort of um, thing. Now, I think where my real passion came, so I, I previously to, to working at Brown Jacobson, I, I worked at Whitbread, who's probably best known for uh, Costa Coffee before Coca-Cola bought them, uh, yeah. and, and the Premier Inn brands. And prior to that, I was at um, the, the head office at uh, Tesco uh, in Hertfordshire mm. and I was within the graduate recruitment and the interns sort of sphere now the volume of hires in those businesses was so big I yeah. mean, at the time at Tesco they employed 503,000 people um, but when we were looking at hiring three four five hundred graduates a year you know six seven eight hundred interns a year very quickly I started to sort of because it was a, you know, you could see a trend within hires rather than small pockets because the volume was so big. Yeah. And I started to question, and strangely enough, um, I said this to Sean earlier, the, the graduates were very good that we started to get, but there was no diversity. And I don't mean in terms of ethnicity. Yeah. It was diverse of thoughts, you know, mm. diverse of backgrounds, diverse of perspective it was getting to the point where the recruitment process was starting to create what I call cookie cutter graduates. Mm. And it was at that point, we said, you know, actually what would happen if you didn't have the, the, the bar of a two, one or certain A-level grades, yes. what would happen? What would really happen if you took that off? And you're going back a decade at least now, maybe 12 years. Um, and it was at that point that I started to, we did take off the grades, but I, I saw for the first time the impact of, if you have a barrier be yeah. in a recruitment process or actually you're only targeting uh, Russell Group universities with your careers visits, if you only look in certain places, I'll be honest, you're only going to find certain things. Yeah. 
And I think my story, my passion comes because when we took those barriers off, the world did change. You know, we started to get people around a table that were from a very different background to, to previous um, graduate cohorts. Yeah. But the innovation that that brought, the different perspective that that brought, the commercial difference it brought, um, it just ignited something that I thought, do you know what? There are artificial barriers in play here. Yeah. But if you don't, and this is the key point, if you don't assess somebody in context to their background, when you're thinking of making a hiring decision, you're going to put a barrier in place that's going to stop you getting the best talent. Yeah, absolutely. Here, here. Gosh, uh, you summarised that so brilliantly, brilliantly. Um, Sean, I'd like to come back to you and ask you about being on TV. Mm-hmm. And because um, even my mum watches The Chase. I don't know what's so addictive about it. And she's like, do you know that guy? I haven't told you I'm interviewing. My mum is the biggest I know, like literally. The biggest Yeah, Yeah. it's good. And what you've done, and I'll come back to the bar in a moment and some of the most recent things we've been doing, that bar action and bar strikes, the criminal bar. But how did it come about that you were on TV making black people, I'm going to be quite direct, look clever? Because we are. People don't think beyond. And as I've always said, one of uh, the... Most uh, fantastic quotes I got after I won Mastermind was that somebody said to me that uh, uh, Sean Wallace's victory was the equivalent of uh, Neil Armstrong walking on the moon. Yeah. And he basically went to show that we're more than just musicians, we're more than just uh, world uh, sportsmen. It demonstrated black intellect yeah. uh, and it brought it out to the fore. Now, I owe a great deal um, in relation to my uh, success to the bar. Because I've used those transferable skills, uh, be able to think on my feet, the ability to research, uh, the ability to, uh, um, you know, be fearless. Uh, if I get a question wrong, I'm confident I'm going to get the next question right. So those transferable skills have served me uh, uh, well uh, in the shark-infested world of uh, entertainment. <laughs> now, I'm the world's first chaser. Wow. Uh, yeah. Because uh, in 2008, I uh, was asked by uh, ITV to take part in what they considered to be an exciting new game show concept. And I'd retired from quizzing uh, in 2004 when I won Mastermind because at the end of the day, where could I go? Uh, <laughs> my cover was blown. Yeah, they, that's true. They're not going to let me on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire because they know I'm going to sort of uh, you know, win a million pounds. Win a million pounds. Without yeah. even using the lifelines. <laughs> And so, they were Tom and I like, wow. Right, so I, <laughs> if you ever need to call a friend, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know who I'm well, I've been called before, actually. But uh, I, I then was asked to come out of retirement, and I did so reluctantly um, in 2008 when the BBC were looking for a new egghead. Uh, and uh, I tried to explain to them, look, I'm not really interested, I've retired now. And they got the producer of, of uh, the show to bring me on three separate occasions. And I said to them, look, I'll do it, but I, I'm in the middle of a trials. I could hardly say to your honour, oh, by the way, your honour, can I simply nip out to a, a quiz show uh, in the middle of a jury trial? You'd have told me where to get off. Yeah. Uh, so what they did to accommodate me, they shifted um, the recording date to the weekend and, and they put me up against uh, uh, some really good players. In the second round, they didn't think I was going to win because they put me up against the then reigning world quiz champion. Wow. And only one person in the room thought I was going to win, and that was me. Uh, and I had a trial starting the following day. Uh, and uh, I would have done the trial over and above uh, doing that quiz because for me, I'm a lawyer who happens to be on TV, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. And my client's interest will always come first. But uh, the case was postponed. So they turned around and said to me, look, there's only one recording day left. If you want to become an egghead, you've got to play the quarterfinal, semifinal, and final all in one day. And I did. 
when you're winning, it's all great. I was in the studio for 13 hours and I lost, uh, you know, checked to the final hurdle. And uh, I thought, that's it. Uh, I've come out of retirement. Uh, no more quitting for me. So anyway, in the autumn of 2008, I got a phone call from ITV. He said, could I come in for an interview uh, for an exciting new game show concept? So I went there sort of, you know, okay. So I've done loads <laughs> of pilots before. So they asked me 30 questions. I've got 28 out of 30. Wow. So they said to me, what am I doing quizzing miles? I said, look, I've retired now. I said, oh, by the way, I'm on, um, are you an egghead? And they said to me, how did you do? I said, I'm not telling you. If you want to see how good I am, use that as my audition. I walked out. So and they so, so showed me losing uh, on December the 2nd, 2008 uh, to Barry uh, Simmons, who's a very, very good friend of mine. Um, the following day, ITV asked me to come to a pub uh, on the Blazing Road. So I walked in, and who I see? A load of ITV executives and a load of contestants. Wow. Playing this exciting new game show concept called The Chase. And anyway, it was me playing cricket, bang to the boundary, bang to the boundary. <laughs> so uh, they were really impressed. So I was working on that show. I had to do three separate auditions. Um, then in April 2009, they brought in Mark Lebet. Oh, so, yeah. Um, they then was going to do the pilot in the old Granada studios up in Manchester. Up in Manchester, here, here. Which was on the 1st of June, 2009, a day before my 49th birthday. Anyway, I was doing a murder file in the old Bailey on that day for seven weeks. So the client I was uh, defending, I got him off uh, an attempted murder trial at the Luton Crown Court the year before. So I went up to him, I said, I said to my leader, went to my leader at the time, I said, look, I need to do this pilot. He said, look, Sean, as long as you get cover, I'll let you go. But you've got to clear with your client. So because I got on well with my client, he said, yeah. okay. So I got something from my chambers to cover me. I had to pay that uh, uh, person £5,000 a week because you know what it was like. Yeah. Uh, right? And I got £100 for uh, the five shows I did each. <laughs> but for me, you've got to speculate to accumulate because uh, I knew it was a good concept. Uh, both myself and Mark did. And they only put up £150,000 prize money for the whole week. Anyway, after day two, the person who put on the money left. So they turned around and said to him, why are you leaving so early? He said, oh, those guys are too good. So that's when we knew uh, this show had this legs. show had legs. 13 years later, um, you know, Mark's been a chaser in America and Australia. I've done the Australian version of the chase, so has Anne. And, um, you know, we've had different spin-offs and... Uh, I never ever envisaged that um, the popularity of the show, the platform it's given me, and it's allowed me um, to use my platform in even a bigger way, uh, as I say, about creating opportunities, creating what I've considered to be the ladder of opportunity for people to climb down. Because I want people to realise, I want to be like Sean Wallace. I say to them, no, I don't want you to be like me. I want you to be a better version. Because you take that philosophy, uh, it's like um, an acorn. If they believe in it, that acorn will grow into an oak, from an oak to a forest, and yes. so on and so forth. And if we perpetuate that idea of being not selfish with what we've got and be more altruistic, I always talk about the, um, the pizza of life. We can all have a slice. Yes. But those people who are greedy and want to gorge on it for themselves, you know what? Guess what it's going to do ultimately? Kill them. Yeah. I mean, right? So, yeah. you know, that's why, you know, I lie with people like Tom. I lie with people like yourself because it gives us the opportunity to create platforms like this, to put the message out that irrespective of your age, ability, sexuality, colour, 
if you've got the talent, that talent should never be denied. That talent should never be sort of stifled or stymied or sort of have the concrete ceiling uh, above you. And we are uh, living examples whereby we've shattered that concrete ceiling. We've looked at a world from a different perspective in relation to how we want it to go, how we want to see a profession. If you live in a multicultural, diverse society, then I always say the professionals, the businesses should be uh, staffed and managed uh, by people of the same ilk of the people who they're representing. Absolutely. Because if you don't, then what's the point? Yeah. Yeah, you're just stuck, really, aren't you, yeah. um, in that? Um, Sean, you seem quite down to earth, quite confident. Have you always been? No, um, as I've always said to people, nobody's born an advocate. Nobody's born confident. You know, if you come out into the world, you are, nat- you are natured and nurtured. Mm. I was a chatty kid. Uh, I think you've read from my autobiography. <laughs> you know, so Sean will make a very good clown. Cloud. Uh, and, but, but, but I knew what I wanted in life. If you, if you used to come to my house... I've got a mural on my wall called My Inspiration, people from Sojourner Truth to Muhammad Ali. Because as a young black boy growing up, when you see role models who are making a difference in the world, the best boxer in the world was black, the best footballer in the world, Pele was black, the best cricket in the world was black. And I used to say, if I had even a fraction of their ability, I'm going to make something of myself. Uh, So it's all what Tom said to me before. What you see is what you want to be. Yeah. So if you see somebody of the same uh, colour of your skin uh, and they're making uh, significant strides and you want to be like that, you can be like that. But I think it's incumbent on people um, who are... All I am now is today's guardians. Everybody who's in a position of responsibility are just guardians for today, mm-hmm. holding the torch of responsibility, which you eventually have got to pass on. Yeah. Because the one thing about mortality is a great leveller. The one thing, you can have all the riches, all the fame in the world, but once you die, you can't take it with you. And I've always said to Tom, for me, it's about leaving a legacy down the ages. People always remember William Shakespeare for what he wrote. That was four centuries ago. And if I could even have that, that people remember my name in the year 2025, 2026, because what I believed and stood for, Mm -hmm. the Lord couldn't have paid me a greater compliment. Wow, that's so, so, so powerful. I have to say that to my kids. Tom, do you agree? Because it's a really powerful thing, isn't it? To say that, you know, you can't be what you don't see, uh, actually. And and has that been a focus for you? Because who are your role models growing yeah. up? Do you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I think, um, do I agree? Absolutely. Mm. Um, certainly in the last few years, um, you know, it's become more and more, probably since I came into law, um, you know, I have to be respectful to, you know, the industry that, that, that pays my wages, um, but actually, it's probably the least diverse um, profession or sector, sorry, that I've, I've worked within. Yeah, it's great for me because you know I see that as a good challenge. Yes. I see that as an opportunity more than anything to make such a big difference. And, and as I said, you know, we've been very successful with what we tried to do. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because people will all say, oh, you've made some brave decisions. They're not necessarily brave decisions. And I am, you know, there was a couple of things that I've done, which I never asked permission to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite sort of well-known. And our former managing partner did once say, he said, it's a good job you didn't ask because you probably would have been told no, or you would have been talked out of making things such as removing the need for a 2-1 and, and any A-level grades to, to join Brian Jacobson. Yeah. Um, but, the, the interesting part is, you know, Ian, the former managing director, said, you know, uh, sorry, managing partner said, it's a good job we didn't ask and we didn't talk about it because we would have missed out on all of the change, the positive change. Absolutely. Um, I, I think 
the biggest sort of penny drop moment for me. So um, we, we have a, a, a truly wonderful individual called Ollie Holmes. He's the head of diversity and inclusion at um, Brown Jacobson. He joined, um, he joined us in January 2021 um, from Accenture. He never worked in law. And I'll tell you what was really interesting. Sorry, slightly rabbit hole here. No, no. Um, I remember when we decided, look, you know, we've done some great work, but we need a professional to tell us the direction for our diversity and inclusion initiatives. We were told when we went to recruitment agencies, you know, um, it's almost coming into legal profession as a diversity and inclusion professional is like career suicide. Um, (laughs) And and I was like, wow. I was like, honestly, is it going to be this difficult? Now, strangely enough, I, I think, you know, we, we were told you, you might get one or two candidates maximum. And, and if you get that, you're lucky. We actually ended up with getting a, a shortlist of nine individuals. Um, but that was only because, and it's back to sort of the point, we were able to say, look, you know, my, I, I had a role in, you know, not Ollie would back this up, around encouraging the, yes, it, from the outside, it may look like an incredibly challenging um, industry to, to create change. Yeah. But actually, here's my journey. Here's what I've done. I'm not from a legal background. I came to this, and here's what I've done. Here's what I see as the opportunities. And Ollie, we convinced him to, to have a conversation with him, as was we did with the other um, eight candidates. We got nine in the end. And actually, it was great because we did sort of help them understand there are great opportunities for DNI progression in, in the industry. Yeah. But interestingly, when we did the first FAIR event, it was Ollie who said, I can't underestimate, I cannot tell you the importance of visual representation. Um, now, that's not to say that you know, anything on that, that first fair event is manufactured, yeah. but we purposely made sure that there was good representation from within Brown Jacobson, but also across the, the profession. Yeah. Now, I remember getting a, a message through from LinkedIn who kind of almost inquiring, what are you doing? Because you've had 350-something thousand uh, engagement points in 24 hours. You're in the top 1% of a global conversation. <laughs> and, and what have you done, basically? But it was the traction that was being created. And I'll never forget, it, it, uh, it literally is, it will stay with me for the rest of my career. Students who had continually been told, you know, a profession in the law, uh, you know, a career within the law is not for people like you. Yeah. Um, and these were black individuals, Asian individuals, minority ethnic. Um, I remember a particular person who's incredibly, um, incredibly important to me i won't name who they are but um they, they, they talked about the struggle of wearing um effectively a burqa mm. um and the stigma that had come with that and somebody who had been on the fair event um, as a visual representation a high performing legal professional who explained the challenges and barriers they'd overcome to get there yeah and and this person in almost in a an hour period said you know what i'm proud of my background i'm proud of how i look i'm proud of my religion I'm never going to let anyone else get in the way and tell me I can't have this. Mm. And at that moment, it was a real penny drop for me. That I was like, you need to see this because there's not enough people here. Yes. Before I waffle on too much, I mean, just refer back to Sean's book. I mean, as I said, we were um, we were introduced by you know, another um, good friend of yours, Chris Dorr, yeah. you see, mm. who is another absolute super ally in terms of social mobility but I remember reading Sean's um Sean's book and and a couple of things really struck me in that and it was as I said you know I think you know you had this aspiration that you wanted to be a a lawyer or you know a barrister Mm. but actually you know when you first got into it it probably wasn't quite what you'd imagined it was going to be um and it took you a couple of times and a couple of different moves around chambers to find somewhere 
that was an environment that thrive. would absolutely yeah. get the best out of somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, as I said, for me, the other important part here is you can take the best talent, but if you put them in an environment that isn't right for them, for them. and isn't going to allow them to be the best and flourish, the whole thing's pointless anyway. And I think what we're trying to do, as I said, it's the importance of opening a profession so that people don't feel they have to be a certain way, conform to something that they're not. Yeah. Because, you know, it's that old adage, you know, be the best version of you, not a second-rate version of someone you think you need to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's so true, isn't it? It certainly is. You know, I always talk about, you know, trying to climb that greasy pole trying to get to the top of the legal profession. And if you don't know how to uh, hold on to that pole, inexorably, you're going to slide right down to the bottom. Mm. Uh, and the one thing uh, I don't uh, hide from uh, uh, young students who are coming into the profession is this. There are 15,000 students who graduate. There are only 4,000 places. Yeah. So there's going to be that competitive element. Mm. Uh, and I will say this to students, um, you know, uh, whoever gets chosen sometimes, it's uh, a question of luck as opposed to judgment. Uh, sometimes you need to be in the right place at the right time because I don't care how successful you are, you still need that bit of luck to be seen by the right person who give you that opportunity. But when you jump from the chorus line to lead singer, you've got to be able to sing. Yeah. Um, because um, if you don't, uh, you simply won't get to where you want to. Uh, and for me, it's always about telling students that um, it's not going to be easy. Nobody's going to hand you something. Uh, but you, uh, and sometimes, um, you know, these sort of uh, struggles of sending one CV after another and getting the knockback, you know, because it happened to me. I'm sure it happened to you. Yeah, it did. It, took me, it took me four years to get my first tenancy. And, you know, you've got to develop uh, resilience, perseverance, and a determination. I think those are uh, important ingredients. Uh, and But we must also be aware of the mental health aspects because yeah. a lot of people put Coming that aside that. in relation to the fact that um you know mental well-being and mental health is very very important because sometimes it can be very very demoralizing mm. uh, uh um students who as i say um are saddled with debt uh they've had to pay university tuition fees then they've got to pay the professional fees to actually do the exams yeah. and as we can see in relation to the reason why we've uh, um, gone into an indefinite barrister strike. Yeah. There are junior barristers who are earning, uh, uh, after three years' call, £12,000 per year. And, and what we've got to stop is a hemorrhaging of talent uh, and, uh, you know, uh, preventing uh, students from basically saying, well, I wish I went down the solicitor's route because if I had, then, you know, I probably could have gone into the commercial sector and earned loads of money. Yeah. But I, I wrote an article and basically said uh, this, that... Um, you know, when you do get the opportunity and you do show the talent, it's not, I don't want students to actually uh, go into law thinking, are we going to earn loads of money? Uh, because as I've always said, if you're good um, and you've got the talent, money will chase you. Don't put the cart before the horse. Because yeah. if you do that, uh, then you'll be doing the profession a great disservice. And you see a lot of uh, uh, um, lawyers, sadly, not so much now, I'm sure it still happens, who cut those necessary corners because they put the interest of uh, uh, the money before the interest of their client. Yeah. And the one thing I was always taught at, at bar school was this, uh, um, you know, um, you've always got to put your client's interest first. You've got to advise them in relation to what, not what they want to hear, uh, but you giving them uh, dispassionate professional advice based upon your ability to give that advice. Absolutely. Uh, and if you do that, because remember, you know, we live in an adversarial system of justice, Ultimately, he's got a real winner. 
it's got to be a loser. Mm -hmm. The one thing you can't uh, control or dictate is the nature of the evidence which you're confronted with. Yeah. Right. You you, you can't. But um, you you know your your ability as a lawyer will be judged upon how you represent your clients because sometimes you've got to climb that uh, greasy pole, you've got to climb that Mount Everest in relation to the evidence, and. Um, as I say, in that adversarial system, it's got to be a winner, it's got to be a loser. Absolutely. But never, ever tell a client what he or she wants to hear. Uh, be dispassionate in your advice uh, and give that in a professional uh, manner, manner because you'll be doing the profession a great service. Yeah, no, I, spot on. I did read um, what you wrote. And I also saw you interviewed recently by Catherine Baskin, Legal Hatchet in The Times, mm -hmm. um, talking about you know being a lawyer who happens to be on TV. Uh, and in that little section there, you talked a lot about lots of different topics I want to pick up on, including well-being and mental health. But but it did occur to me, actually, why do you still practice law? You've obviously earned enough. You're well known. It's not about money. It's about, um, you know, the one thing I don't take for granted is this. And I always say this, and it's true. I'm only as good as my last closing speech as a lawyer. I'm only as good as the last question I answered correctly as a quizzer. The one thing I don't take for granted uh, is uh, the fickle nature of uh, the entertainment industry. Guess what? You can go tomorrow. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Or any job for that matter. Right. So yeah. right. I'm a lawyer who happens to be on TV, not the other way around. Absolutely. It's the law which helped get me uh, to use those transferable skills yeah. into a different sphere. Uh, and it's important that if you do have those transferable skills, because that's the way how you're taught as a lawyer, be it a barrister or a solicitor, you know, the art of preparation, the art of research, the art of, you know, giving uh, uh, fearless, uh, uh, objective, professional advice. Mm. And if you can use those skills in a transferable way, you can take those uh, uh, out of law, go into the field of banking, go into the field of medicine, go into the field of... It's using those transferable skills which, uh, say, the law grounds you, whether you're a barrister or a solicitor. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've got you, so I'm going to focus on you for a moment before I go to Tom. What do you do for your mental health then? Because you've got, you know, the high profile, um, not just the cases, but the TV side. I saw actually in my research that you still like help out at like church and things. It was yes. a fundraiser. I saw you there giving a speech. I thought, crikey, how does this guy have time to go and give it, you know, as a fundraiser or something? And then there was a church and there was something else about... Um, you know, core donation, plus, because, like really positive stuff. So how do you find time, one? And two, is that how you deal with your well-being? What do you do for uh, wellness? Okay, right. I, I know what it's like. Uh, um, let's say 25 years ago with Sean Who. Mm. You know, the practice, which, as I say, was up and down. Um, and, and, you know, some, even at the age of 40, when, as I say, my practice... Uh, in the doldrums because of the fact that I broke my ankle and I had to practice at home. And, you know, sometimes you wonder, you know, the dreams and ambitions you had of getting to the top, of, yeah. uh, are they uh, flown by? So I know what it's like to have um, disappointment and sort of worry and as to whether or not, uh, you know, my future really was behind me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you do need that change of luck. And that change of luck uh, occurred when I won Mastermind. And when I won, uh, uh, nobody knew. I didn't. Even, well, first time my friends knew and my parents knew was when they saw it on telly. Wow. Because I won it six months uh, prior to actually broadcasting the final. And it gave me a chance to reflect in relation to how... I know it's going to change uh, my life, but it wasn't going to change me as a person. Now, believe it or not, I've lived on the same road uh, I've lived on for the last 58 years. Have you? Yeah, I'm not going to move. Why should, why? <laughs> if you're happy in an environment where you are, 
what's the point of moving? Because you know what? Guess what? You can only live in one house at one time. You can only uh, live uh, drive one nice car at one time. And as I say, it's not yeah. about being greedy. Yeah. It's about being content. Yeah. It's about being happy. It's about being. Uh, so I I know what it's like, and you, you know, the one thing I'm grateful for what happened to me uh, was it happened to me later on in life because I can appreciate firstly what it's like to have nothing. B what it's like now to have the public eye uh, uh, constantly on my um, uh, sides. And the one thing I'm always conscious about is that uh, the great old adage by uh, Andy Warhol was this, you're only famous for 15 minutes. And if they do shut off the lights of fame, guess what? I'm comfortable in the dark because I was before. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's so true. Yeah. Um... So, you know, if the chase goes tomorrow, it goes. But you know what? Guess what? What I've achieved so far uh, will never go. Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to use what I have, even if I no longer am in the public eye, still continue to do what I do. When I first started out as a uh, young practicing uh, uh, barrister, I taught at Hackney College four nights a week for 14 years. Wow. From 1985 to 1999. For me, it was important as a black professional yeah. uh, to go into what was, uh, it's, it's now gentrified, but say it was a deprived area then. Mm. And basically say to students, look, uh, irrespective of your age, you know, it, my mantra is this, Sally, the way in which you can stay in control of your destiny is to educate your mind. Now, as I say, Tom quite rightly points out, it's not always about academia. Mm. Uh, you know, sometimes I think, you know, um, the um, qualifications do help you get to where you want to get to. Yeah. But it's about um, there are different routes to get to the same uh, um, destination. Yeah. Uh, and if you've got the talent and you've got the support, then, you know, as Tom quite rightly points out, the mere fact you've got first class on the degree from Cambridge doesn't mean to say that you can make a brilliant lawyer. No, no. And I've been a right. lot of people. Okay. As will you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So for me, it's always about uh, the importance of, of um, uh, being in control of your own destiny. For me, you've got to educate your mind uh, in order to do so. Uh, be it in the form of academic qualifications or be it in the form of having the right proper training and support in order for you to get to where you want to get to. Uh, so, you know, I go into schools. Next week I'm going into a prison to talk because I always say to young people uh, who have been incarcerated, you show me an individual who hasn't got a plot in their landscape. Yeah. We've all made mistakes. Uh, in 2016, I had to appear before the uh, um, professional body for, you know, giving wrong advice. So I know what it's like um, to um, let your standards slip. And I was very, very disappointed about that, but I learned a lesson. So again, I want people to, you know, because I say my life's an open book. Yeah. What you want to find out about me, it's there. Yeah. So for me, uh, we all have blocks in our landscape. We all make mistakes as long as you learn from those mistakes. So that's why I go into prisons and basically say to them, listen, um, you're here for a reason. You're here for a purpose. But one day you're going to be released. You need to prepare yourself for your eventual reintegration into society. And I can point to you many a people who have been in your situation and has still made a positive contribution to society. Yeah. So don't despair, but you've got to want it, yeah. you know. And, you know, if you're not given that chance, you're not given, you know, sometimes you've got to create that chance. And it's very, very difficult for people who are, uh, have previous convictions um, to be given that opportunity. Well, if, if not, then try and create your own opportunities. Yeah, in whatever way you can. Now, God, I could talk to you all day. We're running out of time because you've got all this quizzing stuff to do. So annoying. Um, 
But whilst I'm, I've still got you, can I ask you very, very quickly, and then I'll move on to some of the questions. Why have you got involved in the bar action being taken by the Criminal Bar Association? Yesterday, as we record this, you were outside the Supreme Court and you gave a passionate speech um, there about why we were calling the government to honour the Bellamy Report, uh, firstly. Secondly, um, you know, why are you using your platform in that way? You could just sit at home and do nothing, couldn't you? That Go is... to court, do your practice, do, you know, do all these things. Why are you using your platform to for the good? Because my platform is, for, I, I, you know, <laughs> you can only use your fame uh, in a selfish and altruistic way so far. For me, it's about using it in, in a, a different direction. The bar owes me uh, nothing. I owe the bar a great deal. We, uh, you know, we grew up in a, a situation whereby criminal legal aid uh, was properly funded. That meant that uh, the poorest people of our society had the access to justice, to proper uh, uh, representation. Yes. What we've seen over the last uh, 30 years uh, is uh, um, the chronic underfunding of uh, the profession. Um, seduced firstly by uh, um, headlines of so-called fat cats who are basically taking the taxpayers' money. Uh, and they've used that as a pretext to basically say that, um, you know, these lawyers who are earning money from the criminal legal aid and earning vast sums uh, are basically taking the taxpayers for a ride. So therefore, what we need to do is to exponentially cut uh, uh, legal aid. Uh, but what, what you've basically seen over the last uh, 30 or years, and especially in relation to the pandemic, mm -hmm. uh, is a proper underfunding uh, by the uh, courts in relation to the system, a proper underfunding in relation to the court structure, because, you know, they've sold off so many uh, court buildings, court buildings to the tune yes. you know, of uh, uh, £238 million pounds has been uh, uh, saved by the Ministry of Justice. They cut back on uh, a judge's sitting days, so you, you wonder why, uh, and not surprised why the... Um, the uh, uh, backlog of cases has risen exponentially from uh, 41,000 pre-pandemic to 59,000 now. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, it's all well and good uh, that the government, what I consider to be uh, operating sleight of hand policies, having the Bellamy report, sitting on it for nine months, uh, and basically then turning around and saying, well, uh, we can't apply uh, uh, um, uh, the uh, rules to the current existing cases because there's a legal reason for doing so. Well, that was blown out of the water in relation to legal advice. Yes. Then they turn around and say, uh, without the so-called Lord Chancellor, who's supposed to be the head of the judiciary, the head of the legal profession, uh, simply not engaging with lawyers because of the fact that they think that by passing a statutory instrument in July, basically saying from October the 1st, 2022, uh, uh, to new existing cases, that's when we give you an extra £7,000. Really? Uh, well, what about the existing cases we're working on now? Because uh, it's going to take you, in relation to the report, to clear uh, uh, by 2025. So that means by the time uh, the cases, uh, so far as new existing cases, uh, and you know how long it takes for yeah, uh, uh, trials uh, uh, to A, come off uh, uh, to start, and to when you're being paid. Yes. We're in a double figures inflation. By the time we get to it, um, the figures mean nothing. Absolutely. So the reality is uh, the government needs to be held to account uh, and needs to be honest with society because if you want uh, the so-called world-class system which you've been promoting in relation to the reason why we're uh, trying to attract lawyers, yeah. then properly fund it and you'll get world-class service. Absolutely. And in the context of diversity, so many people have left. I mean, last week, very, very good criminal barrister woman left. Yeah. And 
how are we going to clear the backlog yeah, exactly. if all the people leave? Not just women, and what, but loads of male One colleagues. thing that really melted my heart was a young barrister who spoke passionately. She came from America. Uh, and uh, she wanted to actually, you know, uh, uh, in love with the British customs, in love with the British legal system, and qualified as a barrister, which is an achievement in itself. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, she was earning less uh, 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 than below the minimum wage. And what really made me sad was that when she said to me that the uh, way in which I used to be buy lunch is to save up the sort of points from boots cards in order to actually buy a sandwich. Wow. And eventually she had to leave. And that's what I'm talking about. Uh, that person, uh, sadly, could have been uh, uh, the next uh, QC, could have been the next judge. Yeah. Uh, and the, uh, if you take away the diversity of talent, which you, I've seen over the last 38 years, uh, the growth of uh, uh, women coming to profession, the growth of black women coming to profession. I went to a, a silks party two, uh, four, uh, three months ago yeah. where two of my favourite uh, black females became silks. Yeah. That would never happen now. No. Right. Yeah. If you take away that diversity of talent and what you'll simply get, as Tom basically said, you'll get back to the situation whereby uh, uh, the uh, uh, less people in society won't be able to afford the best lawyers. And the type of people who can go into the bar will go back to the 50s type of situation whereby if you're from a certain ethnic background, from a certain social background, you'll be the person who will be representing uh, the, clients the clients in a diverse society who they can't relate to. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's why, as I say, the fight continues. Yeah. Well, um, I don't want to let you go. Two quick quick questions then. One, yeah. what advice would you give to anyone coming into the profession now? You've already given loads of advice, so I don't want you to repeat it. Or would you say don't come? No, I'll always say don't come because you know why? Um, if we don't attract uh, 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 the talent, uh, what will simply happen is that the uh, bar will wither on the vine and die. Yeah. So, you know... Here, I've, here. I've always said this, um, you know, you don't know what the future holds. Um, nobody can predict the future. But the one thing we need to do is to make sure that the bar as an institution still is thriving. And we need to make sure that not only we, we protect the professional lifetimes of uh, those in the bar, but future professional lifetimes. That's why we're striking. Yeah, absolutely. So do come to that, our sister uh, professions, listeners, uh, or the bar, or the other many routes that we people come to bar. And so, Sean, tell me, what's next? Because you know Lord Reed, he's the current president of the Supreme Court, has said he wants to see diversity, and by that I can mean neurodiversity, or indeed, um, you know, other, other diversity, diversity of thought, and we've got a great quiz master here. Uh, and he'd like to see that before he retires. Now, he said that actually about two years ago. I think I was on Five Live commenting about it, and lots of people have heard it. What's next? And have you thought about the bench or silk? I haven't. Um, um, I, um, I mean, don't say anything you're not supposed to. I know these no, things are a bit secretive. No, I, I, I haven't. Uh, uh, I, I'm quite comfortable what I'm doing now uh, in terms of uh, working behind the Well, it would be hard to say me working behind the scenes. <laughs> but to continue what I do at even a greater pace um, to try and, as I say, uh, inspire the next generation, uh, work with uh, uh, people like Tom and other people who think like me, uh, uh, who have the same ideals, that uh, it's about talent and being given the opportunity uh, without any uh, sort of pre-existing rules, without any sort of preconditions uh, to prevent you from doing so. And as long as I've got the platform, I'll continue to do so. Fantastic. Now, before you leave us here in this wonderful building that we're in here, Brown Jacobson, and I move back on to um, Tom, you are, I like handbags, that's kind of my indulgence and fountain <laughs> pens. 
<laughs> you're quite a you know a modest looking man very smart you know wearing a, a leather strap watch i don't see you dripping gold or anything or or uh, anything of that sort have you got any indulgences that you can share i mean if it's well, well, fine well, but i don't i'm I think, just wondering I think, I think tom knows one of my biggest uh, 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 indulgences tell us it? tom or he can uh, tell it's us Ch- it's chelsea football club oh <laughs> uh, well come on i'm in a city with man united in man uh, city I'm a, I'm, so. a, I'm a big chelsea fan as you know that uh, i'm a bit disgruntled at the fact that we've just lost one of our greatest managers so uh, yeah um you know, I was in a darker moon before I came here for the interview. And even now, I'm not happy. And as I can see, the clouds are gathering outside, and I just hope that's not uh, raining on Chelsea's parade. But uh, you know, I, I, I do like to travel. I do like to, you know, watch my favourite team, go on a holiday, have a great time, and be myself. Uh, yeah. I've got the same friends I grew up with. Uh, you know. One of the greatest compliments my brother ever paid me because I never ever beat him in Triple Pursuit. Ever. I know, I saw that in the book. Right. And, I love that. Yeah, I and love it, that. And the greatest compliment he ever paid me was this. He goes, Sean, I'm so proud of you when you won last one, but you know what, guess what? You're not even a champion in your own household. <laughs> and if that doesn't keep you grounded, if that doesn't keep you grounded, I don't know what will. <laughs> well, that is brilliant. And Sean, just to mark sort of, you know, how brilliant you've been, not just for those who are coming behind us now, careers but even my own children now absolutely love the chase Thank you. and they're not even watching the live the, the live what, ones they're watching the old what, ones you know, that's the way you learn yeah you know yeah. as i always say you know i'm not covering anybody else but the, uh, i'll give you one more tip in relation to how you can improve your mind mm. if you're interested in something you'll never forget it and that's all i'm going to be for mm. is interest yeah in every way Pleasure. amazing thank so, you so much I've still got Tom lies here with me at Brown Jacobson. And I want to focus a bit more on Tom because he brings a different perspective to our sector. Um, and his background is a bit different, as you said, Tom, isn't it? So um, I want to revisit some of those points and then talk about some of the amazing awards you've been winning. Um, you know, I thought I had awards, but you've got like some serious, serious award. I won't swear um, going on and, and why they're so important. So, um, I want to go back, Tom, because we know that you're you're not a lawyer. You're in kind of talent uh, recruitment, really, yeah. aren't you? But before you came to Brown Jacobson, where had you worked before? Um, and I want to just ask you about your impressions when you came here mm. about how graduate recruitment was and yeah. how it's improved since, you know, um, the fair <laughs> scheme, fair access into real work experience. Yeah, indeed. Um, so, so I'm not from a legal background, as I said. Um, you know, I've been, I'm just, I'm, I'm really interested in people. I've, you know, sort of quite a natural networker. Um, genuinely yeah. believe that no matter who you speak to, you'll get something from that conversation. Yes. You know, even if it's you know, a lesson that you think, actually, I don't want to be like that. But you, you take something from every conversation you have. Yeah. So I've got a real innate interest in, in, in the human sort of, being um i joined as i said brown jackson about six years ago now so um 6th of june 2016 i remember it like it was yesterday <laughs> um prior to that as i said i've been at whitbread um in the hospitality industry prior to that tesco within the retail industry mm. looking after very diverse graduate programs such as supply chain digital finance marketing but also the store side as well mm. and then before that i'd been in uh, like most people in my position i'd been through the agency route so i worked as a recruitment agent for the uh, built environment the property 
uh, industry. So yeah. construction, engineering, architecture, um, estate surveyors, etc. Yeah, um, not terribly diverse there. Diverse sector. Diverse sectors, yeah, in terms of diverse sectors. But um, yeah, probably about 20 years in terms of total doing what I do. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. So when you came to um, Brown Jacobson and indeed, I suppose, the sector, because, Mm. you know, um, six years ago to now, Brown Jacobson is a different place. When I look at the graduate um, recruitment, I see the lawyers who are qualified in that time. And when I use the term diversity, I'm talking about protected characteristics, not just race or gender, Mm. but, you know, other um, protected characteristic you've really impacted that and yeah. do you think that's been mainly because of the fair access into real experience program or because what are the stats now from yeah. where uh, you were to now I mean, it, it, it is interesting I mean I think you know it, it, it doesn't require me to give commentary that sort of says you know is there a how diverse or lack of diversity within you know, the top law firms in the UK. Yeah. I think it's a, a well-documented challenge for everybody. For everybody, yeah. Um, and I think, you know, one of the biggest compliments that anybody has, has ever paid to this firm, you know, externally, is, is we now have a reputation, um, quite rightly so, that we're a firm of action, not words. Yes. And I think, um, you know, I, I, I still see organisations that unfortunately will say one thing and, you know, when you when you scratch beneath the surface it's not quite as authentic as you might see but mm. I mean that's that, that is you know uh, that's something that I'm sure over a period of time will change and, and, and people do change organizations change at a different rate yes when we came in when we when I came in in uh, as I said 2016 um, you know the the statistics were quite different to how they are now mm. But I suppose the question is, were they that different to anyone else within no, the legal profession? No. And, and I think the answer is probably not. Mm. But actually, I mean, this is the one thing that, you know, we have been extremely, um, I'll say lucky. I, I, <laughs> I have to remind myself, I've said this a few times, I have to remind myself, we worked hard to, to get some of the accolades that we've, we've done. And it yeah. isn't, I can assure you, it isn't just me. It is a significant team effort here. But we, what we've done hasn't taken a huge amount of resource. Um, that hasn't cost a lot of money, if, if any, really. Um, and these are small changes that make a significant difference. So, you know, when we first came in, I mean, actually, I like talking about how different the statistics were because I think it helps others who might be fearful of, well, I don't want to talk about my data. I don't even want to try and send a survey out to work out what the makeup of our population and our employees is because I'm scared about what I'm going to find. Yes. The best thing is just get out there. And once you've got us, you know, I, I had this conversation strangely with a, a, an absolutely fantastic leader, Sarah Atkinson of the Social Mobility Foundation mm. yesterday. And we were saying that data that tells you a story is never, whether it's good or bad, is never going to be a, a bad thing. Yeah. Something to be fearful of. I mean, we had seven percent in our junior um, lawyers. So, you know, within the trainee population. Yeah just 7% were black, Asian, or minority ethnic. Mm-hmm. Um, 100% of them came from Russell Group universities. Um, and actually, I think when we, I think we did even more detail, they, they came from just five different universities. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe that. I've probably spoken to some of those, <laughs> um, <laughs> as well as others. <laughs> and obviously all had a 2-1, all had pretty much straight A's, etc. Yeah, yeah. And I, think, I don't think that at the time was particularly different to, you know, kind of what everyone else was doing. No. Um, I mean... The biggest change for us, and it is only a very small action, but, you know, 
it's made significant differences. We removed the two one and, and the need for an A and two Bs. And what we started doing is, is looking, as I said, at people in context to the background. So, you know, if you go to a really good school, if you go yeah. to a good uni, chances are you're probably likely to get good grades because yeah. you've got great support around you. Yes. But actually, if you're from a, a single parent or low income household that, you know, even getting to university is a major, major achievement. Yeah. So getting a 2-2 two, two that was, you know, hard fought, mm. you know, you shouldn't be sort of penalised for that, so to speak. And I think a lot of the recruitment processes, which I talked about previously, had an artificially high barrier that wasn't naturally going to translate into, well, you're great at uni, great at school, you're probably going to be great in the workplace. There's too many other factors around it. Yes. I mean, ultimately, fast forward, you know, we've seen a steady increase every year, but, you know, you fast forward to 2020, mm. 65% of our um, junior population is now non-Russell group. 45% of our junior population are black, Asian, minority ethnic, which is a huge change. Yeah. Um, but there is a distinct um, sort of intersectional, uh, you know, intersectional piece between low socioeconomic background, the type of grade you're going to get. Um, and, you know, particularly in, we've seen in London, you know, more aspiring black professionals yeah. have come through from that background. Yes. I mean, it's the whole principle and I know this is something that people sort of refer to, is, you know, I, I want our firm, so in my day job as head of head of uh, resourcing, but, you know, I'm responsible for everything from an admin hire to a full equity hire. I want our people to be representative of both the clients that we serve yes. and the communities in which we operate. Yes. And again, we're, we're getting amazing feedback from clients who, who genuinely say, you know, you're some of the most down-to-earth lawyers I've, I've met. Yeah. You, you are like me. Yes. And these are comments that, a few years ago weren't being said and that's got to tell you everything you need to know about why you should change yeah well you know you you're spot on there and i think that's very because sometimes when we have these arguments arguments and conversations about diversity or lectures and things so on it feels like it's always a moral argument but actually when the clients are saying things like that and they're saying well what does your team of lawyers look like mm. are they representative you know i think it's a coca-cola and some of the big um um, clients say, no, don't say that of yours, but they're using the American um, model and saying, who's on your team? You know, yeah. people like CBRE are like, they don't want to see, you know, 10 blokes and then sort of somebody else from a protected characteristic background at the end as a paralegal who's having no participation in it. So the moral, it's not just a moral argument, isn't it? Is it? It's a business case. And we know that yeah. from, from McKinsey. Um, so it's really good to hear the client saying oh yeah, you know. yeah I indeed i mean i think you know as as part of my day job i'm asked um along with ollie who i referred to earlier who's mm. our head of tni you know we're regularly consulted um you know either by the lawyers or the client and marketing team um you know to pitch in and give statistics around our diversity for uh, bids and tenders yeah and it's i i mean you know, we're not going to be far wrong if we said that actually even 30 maybe even 40 percent of a tender and a bid document these days is actually relating to diversity yeah um and what are you doing to you know okay what, what what's your makeup of your team but actually what are you doing to continually open those doors, doors and build yeah. more diversity yeah into it but i mean it's interesting because I, what i'm so proud of um and what i love and you know, not necessarily here to tell Brown Jacobson, but we started on this journey a good six years ago. Mm. We were ahead of the curve, so to speak, because it really mattered and was 
genuinely part of what we wanted to do. Yeah. It's only really in the last couple of years that it's been slightly more forced upon law firms and, and other businesses by clients to start answering those questions. And I think it's interesting because, I mean, you know, I love talking on the subject. Um, you know, you and I, uh, Sally, have talked about this previously. Yeah, we have. I, I am not ever going to just be happy to influence the Brown Jacobson world. Yeah. I'm not even going to be happy if I just, um, you know, am able to influence the legal profession. What I want to do is, you know, unashamedly try and change everything. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, change the world and make it more accessible for everybody. Um but I think because we started that journey so authentically, it really is now um, lots of clients, um, lots of other businesses getting in touch to say, well, actually, can you help us? Can you, yes. you know, what can we learn from the experience that you've done? Because we have six years of data that tells a really fantastic story sure, of yeah. coming from a not very good place, embracing that, mm. acting on it. Yeah. And it's getting us where we want to be. Still loads to do, but it's made a big difference to us. Yeah, and you know, and the quality of speakers that you get, you know, I get asked to speak at a lot of things, but they've got to be things that I think are having impact or they're not token, you know, diversity weeks and where sometimes you might get a bit of travel money to go and speak at the diversity week in a business or a law firm or whatever. And then actually you discover that, in fact, they're up for a racial discrimination claim or, mm-hmm. a, you know, a sex discrimination claim or there's something about sexual orientation. Actually, the impact of your work has been really interesting and therefore it's attracted fantastic lineup of speakers wanting to influence and change the future of the landscape. So yeah. it's been really good. And I want to ask you this, how you get 10,000 students and aspiring lawyers on your virtual events, even in COVID, because you won these awards as well. I don't know whether that's just because of the numbers. <laughs> I'm going to read them to you because they're worthy of some of the most brilliant accolades. I thought I had awards, Tom. And I know you'll say, it's not just me, it's my team. But, you know, you're a bit dry for it. You know, you've got uh, effectively 11 awards. You're, um, you won an award for the, by the FT, Financial Times Innovation Award, the lawyer. UK Diversity Awards, a fantastic award. The premier of, uh, of, of all of these awards, I haven't listed all of them, I know, but is the Social Mobility Award, where you're number one, I think. It's the first time a lawyer at law firm's been yeah, in. So, so there was, um, so, so and then let me finish. This is my favourite. <laughs> the Lexus Nexus Legal Personality of the Year. <laughs> and you're not even a lawyer. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So, you know, tell me about the Social Mobility point, because, you know, people still have a perception about our profession and who yeah. gets in. And so I think that Social Mobility one, you're especially proud of, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, so, so there's a couple of things in there. I mean, basically, I mean, Brown Jacobson is genuinely a very humble um, firm. Um, I think, interestingly, and I keep referring back to Ollie, when Ollie came in, he, he asked us about it. He said, you know, we, we didn't necessarily realise just how progressive what we were doing is because we didn't really look externally. We just were like, well, let's just do this. Mm. Let's change this. Yeah. It's only when somebody else came in externally and said, you know what, what you're doing is really actually against, you know, the market's kind of benchmark. This is really turning the dial, to use a cliche. Yeah. So Ollie then introduced the idea of, you know, you should should apply and you should submit, um, you know, for some awards. So we thought, okay, let's see what happens. Mm. Now, it was, as I said, we we hadn't really sort of won anything. We have a very compelling story. um, and, And I think that refers back to exactly what I just said is, 
it's the data. Mm. So, so we can genuinely say we started here, we did that, and this is where it's gone. Yeah. And I think, you know, for, for anybody thinking of going for awards, it's all about, well, tell me what's changed. Yeah. Um, I mean, it does come, interestingly, with, um, you know, it does, it does make you have a little bit of imposter syndrome. There's no question about it. <laughs> what, what Ollie said is really important is actually it's the platform winning an award gives you, particularly if you win something that's reasonably you know kind of high profile one because you then have a platform to inspire others and yes. if you are really doing it for the right reasons it's not about look at us we've won an award mm. it is we've won this and this is why we've won it and here's what you can do to also follow in our footsteps yes and i think that was um you know that was it i mean it's interesting because you know for for some of the fee earners you know the legal awards so mm -hmm. the likes of the lawyer the british legal awards um you know that that means a lot to them yeah um you know for me <laughs> There's something called the SOMOs, um, which are the Social Mobility Awards. Yeah, um, yeah, I know them. And and that is for me. I mean, I've for a decade, you know, I, I've I've looked at these, um, and I've thought, wow, could you imagine? And here we are holding a so a SOMO award, and then it's not an award, but there is a, uh, as you said, the number one ranking, which is for the Social Mobility Foundation. They have an employer index each year. Yeah. Um, it's about. I mean, it's a huge. Um, you know, documents complete. It's in eight sections. It, I think ours totaled about 70 something pages by the time we'd finished it. Wow. But actually, what's great about this is we first entered it, um, they publish a, a top 75 of all employers in all sectors in the UK. Mm. It's a very, very, um, you know, it's kind of like the benchmark for how you're doing in, in terms of your organisation for progressing social mobility. Yes. The first year we entered, we came eight second. We, we weren't even, we didn't even make it. Um, but what you get from it is a brilliant report that tells you, well, here's what you're doing well, but actually here's everything else you could do. Yeah. And we use that as an instruction manual and it was free. You know, it, it didn't cost something to, to, to get this. And I, I champion this all the time. Every time any, anyone says, you know, what's the best resource available? So we use that and we implemented a number of things such as, you know, we, we talked about the, the removal of the academic criteria, but you yeah. know, anonymizing recruitment. Um, uh, so, you know, not having names and backgrounds and ethnicities on a CV and that made a huge difference. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we talked about the introduction of the FAIR programme and, and fully paid work experience with targets where 50, a minimum 50% of paid work experience will go to someone who hasn't got a connection at the firm hasn't previously had work experience, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, and the introduction of Rare, which is a, a, a brand, they have a contextualized recruitment system. Yeah, they're it, brilliant. They Rare. are absolutely incredible. They've been around for you know, a, a decade or so, and they are incredible. But actually, yeah, that took us then to fifth place. Mm. And then um, in October, November of 2021, um, as I said, it's a day that will live long in the memory. Um, you know, absolutely got a phone call from Sarah Atkinson, Chief Executive of the Social Mobility Foundation. It's one of the only times I've ever been truly speechless. I can um, see you're emotional as we're and, talking uh, about it and, now. And she just sort of said, look, you know, we, we've been talking about the top 10 and I thought, oh, brilliant. You know, we haven't fallen from fifth to, you know, <laughs> 50th. Um, and and she, she basically just said, look, you know, you're going to be named as number, number one. Um, and it was a genuine absolute like thrill i mean i can only describe it as just an amazing achievement and we've worked very very hard um and again immediately it comes to the platform that gives you mm. and i've been extremely lucky again sally we talked about this you know 40 percent of my week is probably now um you know advising and, and offering you know just genuine advice and lessons to either clients or other organizations who have picked up on the fact that you know 
we, we we've done some great work in in, in social mobility and how yeah. can we help them yeah and it comes back to you know what sean said what i said and what you i know absolutely know mm. you know you're motivated by is you know when the time comes to hang up the boots so to speak yeah i'll only remember you know i'll be i want to know what i'll be remembered for my legacy yeah. and i really want my legacy to be that i did i tore down as many barriers and walls to access to a, a profession as i possibly could yes um and as I said, you know, the, the platform it gives you to help inspire others to do more is just invaluable. Yeah, no, I, and I really applaud you for that. Holy, holy agree with you. Um, because, Tom, you know, your role here, apart from the fair scheme and all the brilliant work you're doing there, is recruiting entrance graduates or undergraduates, if you like, mm. postgrads, to, as you said, equity partners. So, you know, it's quite a broad spectrum of what to see. So I want to just ask you two quick questions. One is um, any advice or tips for applications? Um, and I often say, well, you know, don't um, have spelling mistakes in your applications or whatever mm. it is you're applying for, some yeah. of those basic things. And the second thing is I want to ask you about well-being. You know, you've got quite a big job here. Mm. And, you know, sometimes I feel like the lawyers and the non-lawyers, the non-lawyers who are sort of working behind the scenes to get the law firms going or the clerking in chambers, they work harder than us sometimes, <laughs> you know. And I want to just kind of know, what do you do? Are you like Sean, who hopefully not supporting Chelsea, um, uh, or if for your well-being or wellness? But are you, what do you do or what would you like to do for your own wellness? So the first question yeah. is really about, you know, maybe three quick tips on tips and guidance, because you did actually give some of this advice in my book, Talking Law and yep. Careers, yep. Um, the last one with the red cover. So um, people can read more about it. But I wondered if you had some quick tips there. Yeah, indeed. And, and I, I certainly would say, I mean, it's, um, you know, again, you talk about kind of like, you know, absolutely cherished, memorable days. I, I will never ever forget the day that the copy um, that you sent me of the book for which I <laughs> still can't believe you asked me to, uh, to oh, it's for, and it's for charity so it sold um, loads I mean, of copies it was, it was magical oh. um, so thank you for giving me that moment absolutely indeed and, and it, it, the contributors to that book it's an invaluable oh, uh, I know. resource for, yeah. for anybody aspiring to the profession but I mean interestingly I only really sort of have one uh, one major tip I mean yeah. I could well, they can read recall, the book. Can, we'll we'll can, give away 20 copies. I, Get in touch. I'll give away 20 I, I, I copies. Recall lots. But actually, yeah. interestingly for me, you know, the, the same piece of advice all the time is people always get hung up on the end goal. Yeah. So, well, actually, how do I get a training contract? Yes. That's the first question. And actually, that's a that's too big a question. Mm. Um, what you want to do is work out what does the process look like. So, for us, you make an online application. Yeah. Okay, that's the first step. The second step is you, if you're successful, you would have um, a telephone interview. If you're successful at the telephone interview, you'd then go to an assessment centre. And if you're successful at the assessment centre, you know, you're either onto the summer vacation scheme or you're onto, you know, you're offered a training contract. Yeah. Now, the thing is, people want to jump quickly from A to Z. Yeah. And that's, that's the worst thing because you're taking on too much. Mm. What I always say is actually you need to know how to stay in the race. That's all you need to do. So... Mm. Somebody, I can't remember where I heard this, so I'm certainly not going to take claim to this, but actually I remember a long time ago someone saying, if you're being chased by a lion, yeah. you don't need to be the quickest, you just need to make sure you're not the slowest. That's all you need to do. So for me, all you need to do, the biggest tip is say, well, okay, work out and, and ask what the process is. Yeah. 
So for, for, for me, the question is, okay, how do I make an application that's going to get me tra- uh, a telephone to Because that's the first step. That's yes. all you need to do. Yes. And you're right. Interestingly there, I mean, yeah, it's a, yeah. Brown Jacobson's quite different because about 70% of applications move from app, uh, online application to telephone interview. Mm. We do a lot more telephone interviews. My team hate me for this because I make them do about 400 telephone interviews. <laughs> but that's where you have the quality conversation. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, it's well documented. There are other organisations in and outside of law who will only let 30% through because their HR teams want to sh- sift a big number yes. and it's convenient for them. But for me, that's just a loss of talent. Yeah. So, so for me, it is don't look at the process as a whole, break it down into bite-sized, easy chunks and work out what you, if you want to go from you know, first base to second base, so to speak, how do you do that? If you try and take on advice and think, well, how am I going to get the whole process? You'll be totally overwhelmed. Oh my God, I love that. I'm writing it down and I've been doing it for 23 years. <laughs> I'm thinking it's such a great, great um, advice. I really, um, I really think that is fantastic for people who are you know, starting out as yeah. well. So, so, so to answer your second question, mm. I mean, it's interesting because I would class myself as someone who is highly resilient. Mm. Um, I, I come into contact with lots of people on a daily basis. Um, quite often they'll want things and I have to say no and, and you know, then you see somebody's sort of true colours. But interestingly, and absolutely not ashamed to kind of talk about this, you know, during the first lockdown, I think it was around November. Yeah. I, I think it was the first time I realised that actually my mental health had suffered a little bit. Yeah. Um, as a result of, you know, being quite alone at home, you know, mm. I've got a wife and I've got a, a, a lovely dog, but mm. actually from a work perspective, I yeah. wasn't around the people that I trusted. Yeah. Um, and actually I started to sort of feel like it was strange because I felt like my team had sort of stopped communicating with me and felt like they were leaving me out of things. Yeah. But when we then raised it, interesting, they said, you've been moving really distant away from us. And I was like, no, I haven't. Yeah. But I mean, it just goes to show. And it was actually, a, again, I, I'm really grateful that I, had that experience where I was like, you know, I, I have been working silly hours. I've taken too much on. Yeah. I've tried to do it alone rather than with the support of others. Yeah. And actually, do you know what? Even me, even I am susceptible to this. Okay. And, and I genuinely felt, you know, if, if this could impact me, who I genuinely would have said I am strong minded. Yeah. This is genuinely something that could impact anyone. Yeah. And I, I think it was a, a real good moment to understand that, just how important good mental health is yeah and i love i am so pleased that the world and society has moved to over the last few years to be able to talk about really challenging subjects you know race yeah. um yeah mental health these are things that yeah properly impact the world totally and and, and um, the flexibility is not just it, for women you it, know exactly. um our I mean, agile working is not just what for exactly. women who've been but, wanting it but yes. i mean to, you know to, to answer your question i mean i Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm on LinkedIn because it's a professional platform for, for me. Yes. But I'm not on any other. So I, I have Facebook, but it's you know, very rarely used. But I'm not on Instagram. Mm. Um, you know, I'm not on TikTok. I do, <laughs> I do think, um, you know, social media is amazing. But at the same time, it, it gives, if I was young, I think I'd think, wow, that's what I need to be. You know, yeah. it really sends a message that I'm not sure is always true. Mm. And I think that's the, it can be quite a dangerous place. So I tend to steer clear of it because it can be quite a toxic place. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I've come to realise, as I said earlier, I'm 42 now. Um, but 
I, I understand I can only control what I can control. Yeah. And I'm kind of quite comfortable in my own skin now to be like, do you know what? I, I, I don't necessarily feel I have, I have to prove anything anymore. I think, mm. you know, I've got a good track record. I've done what I can. I, people know my intentions are, uh, and ambitions and drive is there. Yeah. But actually there's so many things you just can't control. So don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, you definitely can't please everybody. That's, mm. that's the other thing. Yeah. Um, and I think as well, you know, the biggest thing I would say if anybody asked me this, whether, you know, certainly if they were sort of you know, entering a profession is people were very quick to offer criticism, but it only matters from those that you value. Yes. You know, it, it, anything else is just noise. Um, yeah. You know, somebody wants a, a very, an old boss of mine, one of the best, um, you know, best, best people to spend some time with. She said it, feedback's like a pair of socks. You can put them in the drawer and never see them again. Or you can choose to wear it and wear it with pride and learn from it. So, mm. yeah, it's. Um, I think that's kind of how I keep myself in the best possible mental shape. It's fantastic. I love that. Um, you know, it's just remembering it, isn't it? And, pra- and practicing it. Um, um, Tom, I want to ask you um, something you alluded to there, actually, which is about imposter syndrome, that we talk mm. about imposter syndrome. I think Sean may even mention this. And I have talk about it because you know i suffer from it and sometimes we think men don't suffer from it but i just noticed that you know you didn't go to uni you know you said earlier you chose not to and so i just wondered if that's some you know we all have imposter syndrome about different things yeah and sometimes the imposter can feed as um for me anyway an adrenaline um thing to say if you say you can't do that or you're worried about it use it to feed that kind of competitive side of me yeah um but it can also you know be a downfall where you wander on it and i just wondered if you've suffered from it and how you got over it you know because when Mm. i was younger even now to an extent i use learning and knowledge i know we've had a quiz master here Uh, (laughs) but you know he is right as that you know i want to know more than everybody in the room um so you know that's how i got over the imposter that made you feel like it didn't belong yeah Uh, it's um i mean i think it's interesting i mean i am despite what people might say and they always find this incredibly hard to believe um you know i I am there's there's quite a lot of self-doubt with me i am quite an insecure individual and i think it's hard to know where that comes from and i don't do know where it is and it is definitely you know insecurity is pretty much imposter syndrome yeah it is it is is. when am i going to get found out Mm -hmm. i mean the most bizarre like sort of thing as i said you know it, it's filled me with you know total fear when somebody dropped a note through and said oh you know just to let you know you've been shortlisted for legal personality of the year yes um and it was going to go to a public vote and i thought oh my goodness what on earth i then sat in the room and as i said i'm i've been extremely lucky and i am not gonna deny that you know it's been a genuinely fantastic journey over the last six, seven, eight months with all the awards we've won. But every single time I go to that, there's never, ever any sort of complacency thinking we're going to win this. Yeah. So I'm sat yeah. there and actually those awards are quite terrifying. Yeah, they are. Over. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, my boss, I mean, I've got a, a, honestly, I've got a brilliant boss um, at the moment, Declan, and um, he knows I'm quite insecure. And it's interesting because he's like, it's quite useful as long as he doesn't go too far. Mm. Because he said it, it means I never ever have to worry about you being a self-starter. You are absolutely every day trying to deliver, deliver, deliver. Yeah. But I think, I mean, one thing I have learned over the years is, is you know, you shouldn't ever be afraid to say I feel like my day. I'm not sure where to go here. Yeah. Um, I've learned over time what I'm really good at. 
you know, I'm highly creative. Mm. I'm very innovative. Um, I know I'm not very process driven, and, and I know that sometimes you know, I, 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 find, I find that the, the, the hard part. Hang on, is that admin? Yeah, <laughs> which I often say. <laughs> possibly, yeah. But but at the same time, you know, I know what I need to work on. Yeah. Um, but I think I think you just have to be comfortable to say, look, actually, I'm feeling a bit out of my depth. Can you help? Yeah. I, I used to take on when I was younger uh, because I was incredibly competitive. Um, I felt if I asked for help, it was a failure. And now I realise straight away, I'm like, the, the quicker I ask for help, the more I'm going to get where I want to be. Yeah. Um, and that's the biggest piece of advice I could offer anyone is say, you know, if, if you're not sure about something or you're worried, talk about it, ask for help, get back on, and that will then give you the confidence to get over that imposter syndrome. That's spot on, you know, because I, I was going to move on to ask you, what's the advice that you never got or advice to your younger self? And I don't know if you can add to that, because that kind of, you answered that so beautifully, which wasn't the question <laughs> no, I was, apologies, I was yeah. asking. But I just thought if you have a, you know, you're, you're very young, Tom. I think there's only like one or two years between you and I, uh, whether you, you know, on reflection, whether you've... There I is mean, I, I said, I think I said in, in your book, actually, mm. uh, should I say our book, maybe? Oh, well, it is our book, you um, know. I, I mean, I did, I did say, and I do, this isn't for everybody, but it, it's... It worked for me, and I think this is the thing: is you have to figure it out for yourself. Mm. But you know, people, society, or you know, the world, whatever you want to sort of describe, it, it, it will place certain pressures on you. So you know, it's kind of well, you're meant to do this, you're meant to do that. You know, this is how things are meant to pan out. And actually, I mean, I said in my book, I never had, and I don't still have a career plan. Um, yeah, you I'm did. very much a you know, let's look, not look too far down the track. Let's, as long as I keep enjoying it and keep adding value and keep learning. And I think people need to understand, you know, very similar to how I've said about the recruitment process. Don't look at the whole thing. Just look at what's the next step. Yeah. I think you need to do the same with your career. You know, what's the, what do you want to do in the next two years? Don't worry about what you want to do in five, 10, 15, 20 years. Because, you know, probably what you're going to be doing in 10 or 15 years may not even exist right now. Um, I mean, you know, I, I, if you'd have asked me 10 years ago, would I be sat here talking to you, talking about wonderful accolades and the difference I've made in this? I, I literally <laughs> would have been like, is it, yes. is it the 1st of April? <laughs> um, so, so I think, you know, just, just don't, don't, have the, don't put the pressure on yourself to look too far down the, the, the track. Yeah. Do what you want to do. You know, listen to the advice of others, but don't be forced into something because someone else, you think someone else wants you to do it. Yeah. Wow really good it's a really good point isn't it and it's also a point about kind of progression and how and what progression looks like where you think you might you, sh you should be or ought to be by comparison to you know um colleagues yeah. isn't it i, I um, stephanie boy so i know you, you is, yeah is a good been on this podcast yeah i've been extremely lucky to spend you know time in, in her presence she says her piece of advice is great she said you know nothing comes to you before your time yeah. And, and you get it when you get it. You get it when you're ready. Um, and, and I think people need to understand that we're all on a different journey. Yeah. One of the biggest things I've seen that, that I think really stresses a, a, a graduate out is when they start comparing themselves to a peer group mm. who they think are at the same stage of life, career, whatever. But actually, if you knew their background, they say, "Well, they should be a bit further on than you because." You don't know where they've come from. Yeah. And it's this comparing your career to others. That's the biggest danger for a young person that I've seen. Mm. Make yourself comfortable with your journey and you'll get where you get to when you're ready to get where you're getting. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's fantastic um, advice, actually. And if I may say so, Tom, I mean, I'm writing a book at the moment called Talking Law and Leadership. And, and it's about how to be a leader and can we all be leaders? And, you know, if somebody said to you, I call myself an accidental leader because I never really thought I am leading. And then they said, well, you've been setting up, you set up this organization, you know, you're leading on a number of issues and you're an expert in your field. And I thought, oh, crikey, maybe I am. <gasps> and I just, you know, just listening to you and having spent an afternoon with you and um, Sean as he was here, you're, lead you're a leader in your own right. And have you... Are you comfortable in accepting that? Yeah, I, I think... Um, Not just the yes, awards. You've yeah, been leading on the issue in the sector, perhaps, which was lagging, and you've brought it up to the front. You know, are you quite yeah. comfortable? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the... It's... I think leadership... I mean, I, I... The topic of leadership is something that I actually really enjoy and I find fascinating yeah and over my career I've had exposure to incredible leaders um you know as I said when you're responsible for you know resourcing you know that's as I said at junior levels but actually you, you do um it provides you with the opportunity to engage and speak to stakeholders who are very very senior mm. um you know I'm, I'm not fearful of people um you know I, I am highly respectful of, uh, uh, you know, I love meeting people that have been successful and have, have, have achieved. Yes. Um, and more often than not, as I said, you know, you learn great things from them. But, you know, it's nice to, to be referred to as a leader um, mm. because I think I want to give back to people. If there's something that I've learned, yeah. and to be honest, most of the things I've learned are through mistakes. I'm, I, I make, I make a, enough of them on the hour every hour. <laughs> but actually, it's, you know... But isn't that the best way to learn? It's a nice way. And, and I think as well, I think, you know, the one thing that... I've never sort of fallen into the trap of is ever assuming that people want to hear my advice. I'm always happy to offer it, but it's, it can only give the idea. And if you take it up and listen to it and act on it, brilliant. If you don't, absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, I, I genuinely care if somebody's coming to ask me, um, you know, what my thoughts are or, you know, can I get some advice from you? The, the fact they've taken the time and, and, feel that my advice is going to be valuable actually that's enough for me to want to give them my time um but yeah if i can on a daily basis if i can give one piece of advice to people and it makes a little difference to their life happy days whether that's leadership coaching mentoring advice whatever um but no i i, I think it's nice i, I would like yeah. to I would wear the, the leadership badge with pride. Fantastic. Because, you know, sometimes I think we're all a bit reluctant and maybe it's just it's just me um, or maybe because I haven't got sort of this QC title after my name or something. Um, Tom, I, I've omitted to ask you about your favourite book and don't say Sean's because um, <laughs> uh, people can read it themselves. But if it is, please say it because it is a really powerful book, which is why I was plugging it a little bit because he, he hasn't... Um, he's not been sort of plugging, plugging uh, about it. And uh, your favourite book, and also if you've got a favourite legal character that you can share um, with me, and if there was going to be a film about your life, because I think it might be time for you to write your own, your own book now. Um, you could be in my leadership project again, but um, talking about different issues. But, uh, you know, if, you, if, you were, if there was going to be a story about you, who would play you? Um, me, I think maybe... Viola Davis, because she's got nice arms, but now she needs to be a British actress. Oh, um, yeah, so I'm thinking, Sophie, I mean, this is purely, you know, <laughs> in some weird fa fantasy world uh, that I'm talking um, about here. But um, I mean, I'm not a, 
you know, and maybe, I don't know, maybe this is why I never went to uni. I, I'm not a huge reader. Yeah. Um, I, I am very much one who, you know, when I'm on holiday, I'll take three or four books, but that's probably about the only sort of genuine time I will read a book. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of books that stick in mind, both kind of pretty good, but my favourite, I think, I read, I, I don't remember the author. Um, it's going back a few years now. It's called One Red Paperclip. Oh. Um, now, I think there's been a similar-ish book recently, but this was just fascinating for me. Um, I'm not going to delve too deeply into no, no. the psychology of why I chose yeah. it, but it was about somebody who basically started with one red paperclip and they traded it a number of times until they eventually got a house. Wow. And I think you know, maybe that instilled something in me to think, Joe, if you, if you start with something small, you can get something huge. And, and it was all about, you know, how they put themselves out there, how they sort of marketed this. There was definitely a lot of synergies. I thought, you've taken something tiny and you've made it something massive. Yeah. And that really, I really liked that. Yeah. So, yeah, one red paperclip. Um, Favourite legal character? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a few out there, isn't there? Um, I think the one that springs to mind, I mean, obviously, um, there's a number of, of characters in Suits, which I really like. Yeah. Um, we... Well, we are sitting in a suit we're, type. We're sitting in that. You know, we're in London um, yeah. uh, looking at, you know, the Shard and all sorts of... It's like, it's like being in New York, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Um, I mean, I think, um, you know, Gina Torres, um, yeah. you know, who obviously played managing partner within, uh, within Suits. I think she's she's absolutely fantastic character. Mm. Um, and then I suppose, yeah, who, who would play me? Uh, yeah, I mean, who would play you? If it was a, a physical... Um, obvious <laughs> representation then of course Jason Statham is, is I clearly, knew you were going to say clearly. that before I knew it as you were saying it and I'm looking I thought he's going to say right, Jason Statham right now I, if, if, if Frankie my wife heard me say that she would be in absolute stitches <laughs> um, I think she would I think she'd like me to be Jason Statham but I'm not. maybe I'm Jason Statham in about 30 years but, um, but no I mean it's um, yeah it's a great question um I mean, I, I think whoever was to play me, um, you know, as long as as long as they were, you know, getting across, as I said, you know, somebody who wants to leave a bit of a, a good legacy, you yeah. know, quite humble, um, quite approachable, and, and just a genuine, as, as we say at North, a good egg. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I think I'd be happy with whoever whoever the character was. Amazing. Um, now. Uh, I, I always ask this question because I'm interested, and I'm not inviting you. Uh, to leave your job <laughs> um but but uh, I, I am interested because i know you get a lot of other firms you know because you're keen to kind of revolutionize not just the sector but mm. more widely and that's demonstrated by the, the different awards you won um that you get contacted by a lot of law firms businesses from construction to kind of property to say what you've done in law with the fair scheme and you know generally it's amazing can you help us and so the my question is what's next but could what's next be some sort of freelance consultancy where you know different sectors come and say look we're not doing greatly on a variety of diversity equity and inclusion areas uh, or whatever, or recruitment, or whatever. You know, can mm. you give us some consultancy or training to see how we could do better? 
And I just wondered if that might be next. Or have you got other ideas? Have you got different ideas? Are you just going to go global? Uh, you know, we're going to be like Brown Jacobson in, you know, in Argentina or somewhere. Um, and uh, all write a book. I don't yeah, know. I just I, wondered. I, I think, I mean, strange enough. I mean, it's it's something I would never have dreamed of. I mean, genuinely would never, never have thought it would be possible. But, you know, writing the chapter for your own book, um, you know, I do feel that there's there's a book in me somewhere. Yeah. Um, what that looks like, I don't know. I mean, I have, I mean, I have heard and seen and witnessed the most extraordinary things in twenty years of worth of recruitment and interview. <laughs> I can. I, I think I would have to go under some sort of pseudonym. Sean Wallace. Yeah, yeah, I'll go for Doctor Wallace. Yeah. Um, so look out for that one. But I mean, I think again, you know. I think great leaders offer things, um, not saying for free, but I think, um, you know, I think good leadership is, is genuinely trying to help others and take others with you. Yes. Um, Authentically. It would yeah. be extremely uncomfortable mate, for, for, for me. And we, you know, I have had this conversation on a couple of occasions to effectively sort of commoditize or, or commercialize what we're trying to do. Mm. Um, I think there is a, I think as soon as, uh, unfortunately, this, this country that's going to sound like it's going to get me in a world of trouble, isn't it? I, I think there is something where, you know, when you are successful, people try and shoot you down, unfortunately. And, yeah. and I think if you, if you position yourself out there as, you know, listen to me, I'm the expert, I'm the guru, there's only one thing that's going to happen. Um, I, I am an open book, you yeah. know, and, and that's the same phrase Sean used there. Yeah, yeah, he um, did. You know, I have to balance the, the that I have a day job with, with good advice, but... Do I see myself going into consultancy role? Never say never. Mm. Um, what I really would like, and this is something that we, you know, we have in the pipeline, um, is you know the um, inequality of career opportunity in the UK happens much much earlier than school and university. Yeah. And, I, and we are looking at, a, at delivering um, something which we're calling Fair Start. Um, yeah. which is a great play on, on the fair brand. Mm. You know, it's the start of your career and, you know, it's fair start, everyone's equal. Yes. But we're looking at what we can do in primary schools. Yeah. Um, and, and that's something which we've got a programme which we're just about ready to do, hopefully ready to roll out by October, November this year. Fantastic. Um, which will give an idea and an introduction to careers and skills and aspiration yeah. to, to really, really young students yeah. um, with the aim of trying to help them understand that absolutely nothing is impossible so watch that space um i'm already excited by it because i love <laughs> you know i think we should have law day which i've been talking about for so many years in primary schools um you know or uh in addition to careers day or whatever so i just think that is a fantastic fair start um you heard it here first Ooh, revelations i can't wait to see how that pans out um it's been wonderful tom to spend an afternoon with you and, and really sure um and really hear what you've been pioneering here uh, it's really innovative and it's really exciting i can't wait for the next chapter Thank you very much. Um, you need and to come uh, back and talk to me about it, which would be great. I will always take your call. Oh, brilliant. Thanks to Sean and thanks to Tom for telling me all about their careers and lives in the law. Thanks again to Brown Jacobson for supporting this episode. Do visit brownjacobson.com to learn more about their work. You can also learn more about the law group at Salford Business School in Salford who also supported this episode.
I'm pleased to let you know that Women in the Law will be hosting two events in line with International Women's Day in March. Firstly, a dinner on the 9th of March and a conference. Both are always great events and a fantastic opportunity to meet people, network and meet people at, at different stages of their legal careers. There are lots of other things that Women in the Law UK do, such as workshops, book clubs, webinars, seminars. Do visit the website at womeninthelawuk.com to obtain a ticket for any of our events, which are online or face-to-face. If you'd like to support the Talking Law podcast, we're looking for new sponsors. Please do get in touch. You can follow me on Twitter, SallyPenny1, or Instagram, SJ Sally Penny, or on LinkedIn at Sally Penny MBE. Alternatively, you can follow Women in the Law UK on LinkedIn. There are plenty of episodes to catch up on where you will see interviews from Gina Miller, Rob Rinder, the Right Honourable David Lammy. Thank you so much to our production team at Purposeful Podcasts. If you would like to show your support for the podcast, do like, subscribe, and recommend it to friends, family, colleagues. I'm Sally Penny MBE. Bye for now.